0: There about um, you know not only playing bass guitar but also playing uh, double bass. So was that something that started earlier on, or did it did it come in sort of late? Well, I'll I'll
1: tell you what. And and, uh, this, if you ask me what I am, I would say I'm a (laughs) professional musician, (laughs) right? Because I see some musicians who are fantastic musicians, but they're not very good professional musicians because we are hired by people i'm not an artist i'm a bass player i'm a professional bass player and um so therefore i have to find the music personally i have to find the music for myself uh in the best way i can right so and i'm really good at that i like uh, all music i play and i find the music in it and i'll play i'll find the groove that is required and i'll be very very satisfied if I walk out and I've provided that groove to the person who's booked me that that's being a professional professional musician. And it's also, it's what I do for money. I've never done anything. I can't do anything else. So you have to take care of, uh, you have to keep looking around to just for opportunities to make money. I, I brought up two kids and I had a mortgage and all that it. Sort of so, and lived in London, not, not wasn't even, it wasn't cheap then. Never mind what it is like now, but um, so I always did did that. And the, 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 uh, to answer your um, question about double bass, I was doing Jesus Christ Superstar, and um, with Ralphie, Ralph Salmon's great, fantastic gig, fantastic gig. You'd love to have come and sat in on that one, Charlie. You would have loved it. It was so great. Anyway, in the middle, I, I thought this is going to end this show, and actually. What was happening in the West End of London then was there were loads of loads of musicals and stuff, but you had to double on on double bass, and I I didn't I never bothered you know I never bothered, and my friend Simon Gardner, a trumpet player, uh, I knew he had a double bass that he'd inherited in 1980, a nice double bass, and I phoned him up and said Si, have you still got that double bass? He said yeah, it's up my loft, covered in black plastic bin liners, and I said well if I have it. Restored? Can I can I borrow it? And um and I thought, well, I've never been to college and I've never had formal training in anything. Anyway, I got this double bass, took it to uh, Roger Dawson who, who restored it beautifully, and it's this one here actually. Here we are. Uh, uh, and I started going to lessons, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn this, learn this, see what happens. And there's, uh, there is a way, there is a method of, of playing double bass. You know, the Simandal method, uh, mm. Frank Simandle from 18 mid-1800s or something. Uh, and there's a way of playing it. And I found a teacher around the corner who I'd worked with on sessions. I'm, I'm on bass guitar. He's in this, in this double bass section. A lovely man, Michael Lee. And he said, I said, look, I can read all the studies he said, but what do you do with this huge expanse of black wood? Everything here? What do you do? And he went, fantastic. Because he was he was very, very analytical, very, very anally retentive, very OCD about how to teach. And he got me playing. And, and I was mad for it, absolutely mad for it. Playing Arco, it was my hobby. Anyway, because I was mad for it, people found out that I was playing double bass. And... I got a call from Pete Murray, the keyboard player, and he said, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, well, nothing. He said, well, I've got this session at, at CTS. It was the old studios, it it's not there. Uh, and we, I need a bass player, you play double bass? And I went, well, yeah, he went, come on in." So I was in, um, and i have been frightened to death ever since. <laughs> and it was for Barbara Windsor with a big band, big band, Dave Arch was conducting, and I was sitting there, and then I'm in. I was in and I started doing gigs and i still keep studying. And I mean, I practice that all the time. And it's been really, really good to me being a doubler because and uh, the other fortuitous thing that happened when I started doing sessions on double bass was when Nora Jones became um, well known and everybody wanted a double bass on their record. You know, that kind of pop, smooth, just chilled, long notes in the groove and all that and they were booking jazz bass players who were fantastic jazz players but they'd first come in and they hated the music secondly their their instrument buzzed and farted like because they never do sessions and see they're not particularly in tune so i completely cleaned up because i can't play fast <laughs> i can't play fast but i get a great sound out of this space which i bought off of simon Eventually, he he sold it to me, um, and so I just put played pop double bass, which was very good for me, really really good for me. And you see it every now and again. I've done some amazing things on it, you know, of Herbie Hancock with Vinnie and uh, Wayne Short on double bass. <laughs> God, that was frightening. But uh, yeah, so that's I, I as going back to what I said. I'm a professional musician. I make my money playing bass and my great friend phil todd saxophone player said steve adapt or die and to some extent we all have done that haven't we i mean you you know i've seen i've seen years gone by drummers buying simmons kit and going what is what is this what you know (laughs) buying the whole set of simmons drums in order because they were adapting or dying i mean you you do it the same your drum kit is quite different from what it what people played 40 years ago you know because you 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 what you're required to do is have that symbol and that thing and that you know sensibility and that knowledge of this and that and if if you don't adapt you you will die you know i've i've said this many many times but what you put into music you get straight back out again it's the most karmic way of living your life as far as I'm concerned because if, you know if you don't look after it it won't it will just go away from you you know I mean and I'm I'm still enthusiastic after uh, nearly 50 years of doing it uh I'm still just as enthusiastic about it and you know I've, I've got CDs coming through the door today because I want to listen. I've been on Google or on Amazon and gone, oh, I fancy that. I quite fancy that, you know. Uh, so I'm still as enthusiastic about it. And it comes back to you. I mean, you know, people book me because, well, especially in the in the, the time when I used to do jingles. Uh, there used to be loads of jingles about. I used to rush around Soho doing them most days of the week. And they were, they were invariably sound alike um things you know and so I I, I I sort of gained the knowledge of what makes that bass sound sound like that da, 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 da. and I'll, consequently i've got a house full of bass guitars <laughs> that' making different things you know making different sounds but hey as i say adapt adapt or die
0: yeah totally and you know having that stuff and also that sensibility is what keeps keeps the phone ringing you know
1: yeah, yeah. also
0: you know Having that want to listen to music, and also, you know, I can see from the the, the, the music stand behind you the want to yeah. practice as well. Which is oh god, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm
1: upstairs. It, this is my biggest bedroom in my house, and I've got the double bass and one music stand, and then I've got a, a music stand here for the the bass guitar studies that I play. So it's all on hand, and I, you know, I go for a pee, and I stop on the way in, and stop <laughs> and stop on the way out,
0: <laughs> and so. It's kind of a good way to end it. We're just wondering if there's any, you've had some really good uh, bits of advice there that you've um, bestowed upon us. I wonder if there's any sort of other key things that you've been told throughout your career that you've uh, passed on to other people. Uh, I don't know, really. I
1: just try, I don't know. I mean, I've never taught music, taught, taught, given lessons. And in fact, these sort of things have really, I've done quite a few of these over the pandemic, you know, the podcasts and stuff like that. And it does make you think about, about that. But I mean, you just, I don't know. I think you just have to serve your your music, your gift, and just keep, keep on it, really. Because, and it will take you wherever it, it takes you, wherever you deserve. I, I don't think, you know, even gigs I've lost or I've been blown out of or whatever, I've deserved everything. <laughs> all of it you know because i've, I've looked in the mirror the, the difficult personal mirror and gone well yeah of course but you have to be happy with what you are as a person you know there's some people i was never going to get on with um in, in whatever situation and you just have to go well well that's because i don't agree with that or i'm not like that or i'm you know there's sort of try not to be too alpha male really <laughs> i think that's the answer as a bass player but you do have an un- untold power as a bass player that's for sure you know I I mean I thought it was going to be an easy people say oh, it's easy bass and it? it's only got four strings or five uh and yeah you know, it couldn't be further from the truth you know if you play a wrong note everyone looks around and looks at you yeah. you know because it, it, it's it's the bottom of the chord you know I mean it's immense responsibility but I do love it and I have I mean I see. I spoke to Ian and Thomas this morning. We talked talk to each other. And, uh, God, our friendship goes back so many years and in so many situations, so many. Like, silly little things and great things and, and not so good things. And and I love it. I love the camaraderie. And, uh, and may, may you all have your people that you grow up with like I have because it's, it's still a joy, an a- absolute joy. Absolute joy, you know. Must I must say?
0: To dip into a sort of different side of your your career now, um, you know, you've done. You've mentioned a bit about your West End work, and I think the first yeah. time I heard you on the West End, though you wouldn't have known it at the time, it was when I came and saw Beautiful. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what a show that was. You know the the band. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, sweet, was a, it was a good one. You know, quite quite the setup and um my mate adam dennis on that and yeah adam, yeah adam goldsmith as well neil yeah. yourself that was an amazing
1: know, band really amazing, really
0: amazing band yeah and then obviously i've seen that sort of core of that band a few times since with with cassidy and yeah they nice little gigs. gigs yeah yeah and i've got that album on on my shelf oh there we go yeah still yeah, a, yeah. a great album to to listen to and I think you know there's a fair few different players who have done odd bits on that uh yeah on on that uh, particular album but yeah sort of working in the west end one thing but you've also done a lot of work with um orchestras so I have how, yeah how, how have you found that sort of going in as a rhythm section and adapting to oh yeah being under the uh, stick of a conductor and
1: well I, I'll go back to my formative years where I didn't go to college and I'd when I was 17, I used to dip in the Palladium Panto, uh, which was an incredible show. It had a full orchestra in the pit, about 25, 26 strings, harp. There were no synths then, 1977 this is. So uh, there was an upright piano, and it might have been an electric piano, full brass section, and I was I'd never followed a conductor before in my life and I, I, was, I was available. It was 12 shows a week from the beginning of December until the end of February. So it was a big chunk of work. And the bass player, there was never a, any debt policy. Um, you could be off, you took the gig. And the MD was a beautiful man called Gordon Rose, uh, who used to run the big band at Morley College for m- many, many years. But he was the, the musical director of the Palladium. And I got put in and I went in there. And after my first step, he came up to me and he said, if I didn't think you were gonna be a really good player, I might not have you in here again. He said, but watch my stick, watch me. He said, learn, he said, and he said to me, learn the double bass. And I didn't, I didn't for another 20 years, but uh, I ended up being in there all the time. And I realized that it's another art playing with, because strings play there. Brass play there. Uh, an orchestra plays all over the room, and and they and the, the focus is on on the on the stick. Now going back to what we were saying about bass, <laughs> the responsibility of the bass. It's a nightmare because you are the bottom of the beat. You are the bottom of the beat, and I've had a few tussles uh, over the years. I must confess, but I've kind of got good at it hopefully i've got good at it and i'll tell you two stories i was i wanted to be better so when i was about 18 19 i used to drive to uh made of our studio bbc made Our. that's just been sold um and in that studio in that building there were six studios studio one was the symphony orchestra studio two was the where the choirs were it's a very ambient room studio three was where the radio big band was studio four and five were little tiny studios where broadcasts went on uh because they used to broadcast things that went out really late at night the truckers hour and all they used to call it uh, and the bbc had to record a certain amount of live music in order to what give them needle time to play records so it was uh, and in, uh, studio six was the strings of the radio orchestra so there were, like, hundreds of musicians every day, every day. And I used to drive down all the time. Uh, Jack, bless his art, the guy who used to hump all the, the equipment around, he'd let me in the back door, and I'd just go from studio to studio, watching, listening, learning. I used to sit next to the bass player in the radio band, which was not so much on the stick. And I'd go and sit in the... The studio studio six with the radio orchestra which was light very light mi- pop music classical music with a huge string section and a little rhythm section set over to the and my great friend uh who used to take me all around studios a guy called kenny Hollick, who was a session drummer uh, i used to do a nightclub gig with him when i was 17 and he used to take me I used to drive to his house and he'd take me to studio and i'd sit there with a pair of cans on just drink, drinking it all in and that's where i learned to learn or tried to learn about following a conductor where because yeah, there'd be a different conductor there'd be two broadcasts a day different conductor and they'd have loads of music to do it and, and you'd, you'd find and i'd sit next to a beautiful old bass player called bill brown and go is his, his downbeat lads about the bottom of his tie where his where his tie is so you'd learn you'd learn the, you'd learn the bounce you know but i mean and then i was thrust into it and i i used to fox me like you wouldn't believe it. and still does sometimes because orchestras if i'd say to i've ever did sessions and chris lawrence and people there's a whole bass section they're all great chums and i like go I'd go up, because they can creep in, right? They're not in charge of the beat, really. You, you know what I mean? If you, if the downbeat, if a, if a bass guitar goes bong, you've got no chance, have you? It's like bong, and bong, 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 So yeah, anyway, I used to say, am I all right? You went, oh, don't look at him, don't look at him. <laughs> you know, whatever. So I've done loads of things like that. And I, it's, there's uh, the first most amazing thing was Ralph Salmin said to me? He said, "You have got to subdivide it, right? If there's a row going on, we're in charge of the time. So you have got to learn when when we're playing in time. The conductor's conducting to our time, really. And some of them are on the way, back and you can't look. You cannot look at them because it's so disconcerting. I've been at the Albert Hall where we're we're, we're all of a mind and we know who the conductor is, and it's there, uh, there." Uh, Uh, yeah and it's like it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare but what happens is eventually you work with these people and it's i'm afraid it's experience is that these people whoever the conductor is if they know me they know i'm looking at them and they know i want to work with them and and they will uh, more often than not say to the orchestra please it's the bottom of the beat and he's doing that because he knows that's where I'm going to play it right and then we're all going to get on and he knows that if it's going to if there's going to be a row I'm going to row with him I'm not taking the I'm not disrespecting him I actually what I love doing it I love when it all comes together I love sitting next to the double basses and playing their pizzicato time which is another whole thing I absolutely love, love it because it's making this music being part of an orchestra, it's it's absolute it's magical and it's a joy. And it's some you know, whatever. Anyway, the right the way I I I uh, got the the ra- together was Ralph said to me, Ralph Sammy said, Well you've got to subdivide it. So that's that's how you do it. So it's one, two, three, four, one, and two, and three, and da 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 Bong, and it all sounds beautiful, and that's that's what I do. That's how that's how I do it. It might it might not be the way other people do. I don't know, but that's how I've got away with it this many years. Also, you got you got to tailor your sound. You can't have a jacko middle sound and go beep 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 like that. You got the the it's the big fat warm beautiful comfy sofa note that all the strings sit on you know and you're not getting in the way of you know this is there's this chord going on there's a whole sound going on and you have to play tailor your bass sound to and your approach and and dynamic and and then orchestral players won't sneer at you although you they still do they can't stand they think you're going to be too loud but i try not to be too loud within the orchestra try to make it a nice sound have a, have ears for the percussion who are like miles away you know and and try and make some music out of it because you actually are quite prevalent in them even though you're only playing one note underneath the band it 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 can make people feel uncomfortable or comfortable and I, i try and make people feel comfortable on in orchestras you know
0: yeah and i you know i know you've had a, a pretty long working relationship with Anne Dudley, which of Ann course... Ann Dudley, beautiful Ann Dudley. Yeah. I love Ann Dudley. Which, uh, which led on to uh, doing Bill Bailey's remarkable <laughs> oh, guide yeah. to the orchestra at the Albert Hall some years yeah. ago.
1: <laughs> yes, we were a bit underused on that gig, apart from the fact when we had to go out and play the bells, which was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious, yeah. It's
0: good yeah. fun. Um, you know highlights of that you know that the uh, the whole um 70s cop show saga was just yes very well done beautiful piece of uh piece of writing and yeah you know and it's it's one thing to be a musical comic you know like you know bill on his solo shows or someone like Tim yeah. Minchin or, yeah. or yeah. anyone like that but when you're doing it with a full orchestra yeah and having to do the jokes completely to time yeah you know, what a what a, a thing and you know it was great to see when you do those uh, the tuned cowbells you know you uh frank ricotti and, yeah uh, uh and ralph just yeah. really getting into well
1: i uh, the thing was we took and said to, phoned us up and said look i've got this gig with bill bailey and orchestra so i want you and frank and, and ralph i said great so we turn up at john henry's for the first rehearsal and we don't know what we're going to be faced with Bill's lovely affable and I've worked with for many years did the full Monty film with her and all that loads of things with her so it's all lovely and he went listen guys he says uh, I bought these Alpine bells you fancy you have a go on them and we couldn't say no because really there was nothing else to play there were only little tiny bits we weren't really called on for a, it, it was kind of easy to play We went yeah all right said, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably the least used to this sort of thing because frank you know through that sort of thing uh and ralph's classically trained percussionist so i'm a ringer really anyway and of course bill's there and and we get the first eight bars together And the the way we do it is we write our initial over the note in in the score right so we've got this how this has sacred piece of paper that went everywhere on tour when we went on tour that, because we were knackered without absolutely knackered without. And we got the first eight bars together and i i thought gosh, i took up base to sit up the back here what the what am i doing what am i doing but we were in then and it was so much fun and of course we, we were suggesting things like we got all run round, the, run round, and like be annoyed at him and all the rest of it. And the one at the Alba we we it's great. But when we went on tour, uh, Doug Harper did it on drums, and it got so out of order. It got so it, we we were we were hamming it up like you wouldn't believe, wouldn't believe, and running around the stage. <laughs> and hiding bells and all sorts and it it became it became this thing and of course we tried it we played with different orchestras and because it's a beautiful cello piece isn't it written as Um, and, and of course we always used to sit up in front of the cello players and they were always in hysterics, as they were uh, on the album. Oh, that, yeah, career highlight. More people are, talk to me about that than about bass well, playing. Yeah,
0: sure. It's it's <laughs> funny. Um, I can't remember who said it, but uh, it was a quote I heard a long time ago about how all comedians want to be musicians and all musicians want to be comedians. <laughs>
1: well, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, the thing was that I, 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 without getting too kind of. Uh, um, a uh, psychiatrist about it i was i was a very shy little boy believe it or not and actually i i i went, it, it was until i started playing with my dad and i'm not really a nervous person ever now but i was a very kind of shy and nervous kid and i remember when we were doing it about to go on in white tides house i was thinking if if little steve pierce could see see me doing this i mean i would probably die of fright actually that's because it's it uh, but i really enjoyed it it's it it was it was a lot of fun really you know like i mean i don't mind having it up and it's it was very well written sketch wasn't it 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 worked it? It, it, yeah.
0: it was it was just you know just the idea of it of oh yeah we'll do we'll do the the swan from the carnival yeah. of the animals and yeah, yeah we'll play it on tuned cowbells it'll <laughs> yeah. be a laugh
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah you
0: know and yeah as, as as you say, it came over brilliantly as did that whole that whole thing you know as, under- yeah, yeah. as you may have as you may have been on the <laughs> on the job. Yeah. But it, was, no, it was good, it was, it, was, it
1: was lovely I mean as I say it was a really nice project To do and, and well we had Things that had to be played right But they weren't technically demanding and then We are in at the deep end but yeah And Dudley she's abs- absolutely lovely I've done lots of things uh, Orchestral things with her as well with the Concert, or- BBC Concert Orchestra Where I work with quite a lot you know
0: Yeah and you know I mean Sort of just to wrap Us up if there's you know a- Of you know on The the podcast, we like some, uh, some amusing, amusing stories. And, uh, I'm sure with a a career as long as yours, you've had a few, uh, a few over the years of, you know, sort of what's the most sort of mad, wacky, you know, crazy session that you've, that you've done. Okay.
1: Well, I, I... uh, well, we got Isabel, if Isabel Griffiths phoned me and said, um, I've got this day at Abbey Roads for this artist, and um, I'm not quite sure where how this one's going to go, so I think you should charge quite a lot of money. I mean, all right, okay, that's fine. Um, I've had a list of um, bass, in, I've had a list from her about the exact bass guitar she wants you to play, and I thought, okay. And she said, but there's quite a long list about all these things. So I said, this whole thing, and everyone got one. It was me, Ian Thomas, John Paracelli, and Pete Murray on keyboards at Abbey Road. And uh, anyway, I, I said, I don't know what this is about. A, a Lakeland five string, I've got a Sadowski. It'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Anyway, we turn up, and it's this little girl who uh, uh, comes from very rich parents. And she hardly speaks English. I think she's—I think she was from Portugal or Spain. I can't remember. Um, and she had a, just a list of lyrics, and so we've got this massive um, language barrier. No music, no demo, uh, and she starts singing. And we're we're going right. Well, we better take this on. It, and it it, it became because she was getting cross with us as well, which is really brilliant. It's like we're doing our very best. I mean, you couldn't get more, four more beautiful, and I'm including myself in this, affable, caring, wanting to please, wanting to help, wanting to make your music. And she, I, I remember, I never, I never forget she said to Yanto, here, here, round thing, play round thing. So he's hitting the cymbal. No, no, round thing. And it's the tom. So the tom, <laughs> the tom, and the cymbal was both the round thing. So he was getting the needle over there, right? And it, out of four of us, there'd be two of us, ourselves, laughing like this, trying to not to laugh, and then be one of us with the ump. So it, and it would go round the four of us all day. Anyway, it was it was in Studio Three upstairs at Abbey Road, and we and we're sitting there and we're going. And we sort of cobbled this thing to get, together and the door opens. And Sir George Martin walks in, right? With Princess Margaret's son, Viscount Lindley, right? And we're, going, and we're going, this has got to be cat camera. So, this has got to be a spoof, it was so bizarre. Anyway, they, he just walked in, because he's, he's George Martin and it's Abby Ray. He walks in, oh, hello, gentlemen. And we're going, hello, yeah, yeah, whatever completely interrupted this then we go back to it and we we this was like this we did two three days of it and it just got more and more bizarre and it became so legendary that it's i have actually got a cd of it it made it to cd but it went all around the music business about this bizarre session that we did and we did it we did it in the end and actually i heard it the other day it came on my i i my on my phone when i was out, going out for a walk on select on uh, shuffle songs and it I, and i remember every everything about it but it was bizarre it was the most bizarre and it wasn't a joke it wasn't a joke we did um shake rattle and roll she what she'd do is start singing and then we'd try and get a beat from it so she started she said you not shake rattle and roll another one of those it's tootie fruity or something little richard so she'd sing too fruity one really? and um what ha- what we worked out was she sang it the same but terrible every time but exactly the same so what we got some kind of we got some kind of tempo out of it so what happened was she'd sing it and then we'd pete Cobbin, the engineer would move it so that it worked on the tempo because she'd go across the beat and the, the time but it was all the phrases were in time so we we went off for two hours they recorded her we went back and it was all lovely and things i mean, anyway so that that was that was pretty mad that was uh things are coming to me now <laughs> like, i mean you know some things are really funny to us but not maybe uh, if people say you should write a book and i'm thinking well i don't know whether people would be interested because what makes us laugh as musicians we've got a weird sense of it. it's only you know and then when you're in the studio yeah there's kind of all that nervous energy going around and so things become funny that aren't really funny yeah. outside of the studio
0: you know it's always great to hear some of these
1: uh shall i uh, have you heard about my uh mime session with george benson
0: i haven't go on
1: okay well, it's on the YouTube. It's well worth, look- well, it's not well worth looking at, but you can see, we, I was booked to mime uh, with George Benson on Loose Women, right? you know that show, Loose Women. So great, brilliant. We, he's singing live and playing a live guitar solo, and me and uh, Bob Knight, the drummer, uh, Richard Taylor, keyboard player, we just turn up at uh, the old LWT place. Um, great. Uh, we're live to the nation at about i don't know quarter to 12 so 11 o'clock we're in the pub across the road brilliant couple of pints go in black suit on brilliant george comes out uh, hey guys how, are you, how are you doing hey george whatever turns up he's got his amp and his guitar no tuner so i lent him the tuner on me thing to whatever so tears up he we'd get one one go at it one go give me the night it's live live so He's singing, and I'm just miming away. And I noticed that he's stepped on his guitar lead, and it's pulled out. And he's going like, he's because he's playing as well, and he's going, and he's gone like this, and I'm watching him on live TV. And I look I look across at Bob Knight, who's the fixer, and I went, he goes, plug in! And this is all on live television. Anyway, I managed to do this. It's brilliant. There's, there's like a held note in the middle of giving, and I... So I, went, I mimed bong, and then I let down, picked up his lead and plugged it back in again for him to go and play the solo. And it's like, it what was supposed to be just a simple mime, couple of fights of Cronenberg, home, you know, he turns up and he turned around and he went, you saved the day? <laughs> I mean, it would have been nice to play live with him, but that, that's another yeah mental mental thing and you can actually see me uh, it would be the one time the camera pans on on the band and it's me picking up his lead and plugging it in
0: oh class oh, yeah. absolutely class I mean, like, <laughs> you know those are the sorts of stories that that you know <laughs> you, you, you know are great just to hear you know especially for, <laughs> especially for the young blood like us <laughs> you know, some of these, uh, well, some well of these may you bits. have
1: as may you have a mirth as much of a mirth filled time as. Me. Oh, hey! Pal. It's, <laughs> been, it's been,
0: been, been great to have you on, and um, yeah, I think a real pleasure for for Ash and me to yeah, man. Have someone like yourself, come on and uh, and just have a natter. So, thank you for talking to us uh, once again, Steve, and uh, we'll see you next time on Groovecast. Yeah, man. See you later.
1: See you later. Yeah.